0: Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in New York. I'm Amy Keen. Today we're looking at the rising economic tensions between the U.S. and China. This year, the U.S. has slapped tariffs on $250 billion worth of Chinese goods, while the Chinese have retaliated with tariffs on $110 billion of U.S. goods. It's an escalating conflict that's clouded the global economic outlook. The FT's Gillian Tett recently sat down with Kevin Rudd. He's a former prime minister of Australia and now president of the Asia Society Policy Institute. And they discussed the state of the trade disagreement and what it might take for the US and China to reach a truce.
1: There's rising concern right now about the state of the US-China relationship. Do you think the current shadow boxing and the threats are a serious breakdown between the two? Or do you think this is going to be patched up very quickly?
2: I think we're looking at a fundamental shift. And I've been looking at this relationship for about mm, 35 years. But if you put together the U.S. national security strategy of last December, the U.S. defense strategy of January this year, the initiation of the trade war, Vice President Pence's speech in um, October, it all adds up to not just a pattern but a clear declaration, the end of strategic engagement – and the beginning of what's called now a period of strategic competition. The trade dispute might find itself with some sticking plaster put across the top of it come December, but the rest of the relationship, I think, is in a whole new zone. How
1: dangerous is that for the region?
2: Immediately, probably not, but I think it's important to stand back from the immediacy of events and see where this trend line is taking us. The United States, in declaring the end of one era and the beginning of another, the end of engagement, the beginning of strategic competition, we've had kind of rules governing the behaviour of the two states, that's China and the United States, which have evolved over the last 40 years. In this new period of strategic competition, we don't have rules.
1: Is there anything that third-party countries like Japan or that Australia can do to either try and calm this conflict or anything they should be doing to protect themselves from it.
2: The abiding principle of Australian foreign policy for some decades has been we never wish to be engineered into a position of choosing between these two elephants in the front living room. We have an historical strategic and security relationship with the United States and China is our largest economic partner by a country mile. So we'll be doing everything possible to actually ever be squeezed into a position of somehow making a foundational choice between the two. I think Japan ultimately would like to occupy a similar space.
1: Now, a number of investors are very spooked by the rising tension in the US-China relationship, and we've seen it in the trade sphere. Are you concerned that the next step would be a currency war? Do you think the Chinese are going to be tempted to devalue? Could that even lead to a capital war?
2: On trade, we've seen the measures taken, and the retaliatory measures also embraced by the Chinese on tariffs, and there's still a way to go on that. It's not in China's interest for this particular form of um, economic warfare to continue. President Trump is correct in his analysis that this is much more damaging to the Chinese economy than it is to the United States. Trade is a bigger proportion of Chinese GDP, and Chinese GDP is smaller than American GDP. Do the maths. It's in Xi Jinping's interest to draw this to a close. Their view, however, is that there's nothing possible to be done given the false start with three attempts so far to land this dispute over the last several months, they're going to wait for the midterms to be held, see who wins, and as a consequence of that, what political negotiator they're actually dealing with on the other side of the table, and will there be changes in the administration after the midterms. So these are key variables, but when push comes to shove, Xi Jinping's aspiration, I believe, will be to try and land a deal, or a process to bring about a deal, when the two leaders meet the margins of the G20 summit in Buenos Aires uh, at the end of November. However, there's one factor I think we need to consider. It's in President Trump's interest, too, probably to get the best deal possible and proclaim victory. We know he's very good at that. Look what he did with NAFTA. But if he emerges uh, from the midterms politically damaged and with uh, Mueller hanging over his head... The real danger, as many analysts would see it, is that he's then in a position where he needs to continue to play the nationalist card against China, particularly if he's then seen to be weak on Russia post Muller. And that would not augur well for what should have been, in other circumstances, a rational conclude to the trade spat come Christmas.
1: A number of people in Silicon Valley have been very struck by a recent book by Li Kaifu looking at the issue of AI and arguing that. China has already got supremacy in the AI race over America. Would you agree?
2: No, but he's right to point out that China's, uh, shall we say, grand strategy on AI is in place. It was a formal pronouncement of the Chinese State Council, I think, in April uh, 2017, that China intended to indigenously obtain the commanding heights of this particular category of new technology for the 21st century, and frankly, other categories as well beyond AI and robotics. So China is throwing every possible resource at this. But their view, interestingly, is that if despite what could be a massive misallocation of state resources being thrown at state industry policy, at its research institutes, at bringing back foreign talents to China, and uh, their own indigenous innovation efforts, that if only 10% of that works that puts them in a highly competitive position against where the Americans now are. So the game ain't over yet. But China is in a more of a competitive position, in my judgment, than some of our friends in Washington or in Silicon Valley would currently conclude.
1: And just lastly, is there anything you can see on the horizon that would stop this deterioration in terms of the relationship between the US and China?
2: At present, the relationship and the American response to the terms of the relationship present two sets of alternatives uh, for China. Capitulate or end up in a form of conflict, economic or otherwise, over time. Capitulate means adhere to the principles, processes and rules, if you like. But if China doubles down and says, nope, we're not doing that, then we're on a road to conflict. So what's the third way through this? I think it's along these lines for China to embark upon a series of reforms which further opens up its economy, that those reforms will not go as far as the United States and others in the West would expect. But we then see and stand back and make a conclusion over time in Beijing and Washington as to which of these two systems ultimately prevails in delivering maximum economic outcomes for their countries and for the world, namely the authoritarian capitalist model that we've seen evolve in China and the continuing liberal capitalist model we've seen in the United States, and for the terms of engagement to be peaceful but still competitive.
1: Well, thank you, Kevin. Those are incredibly interesting thoughts, and I think this story is just going to get more and more intense and interesting going forward. So thank you for your time, and best of luck within the Asia Society Policy Institute for trying to figure
0: out how to shed more light on these debates. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much.
0: That was Gillian Tet talking to former Prime Minister of Australia, Kevin Rudd. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with another news feature tomorrow. But in the meantime, look out for our brand new news headline show called FT News Briefing, which you can find on all the usual podcast platforms and at ft.com forward slash news briefing.